0: welcome to the human conversation podcast with jules white the real dragon slayer author and entrepreneur sales coach tune in weekly for human conversation about business and sales enjoy business expert interviews educational episodes and virtual cuppers with entrepreneur business owners so grab yourself a cuppa and enjoy here is your host jules white
1: everybody to the human conversation. Well I know I say this every time but I'm really excited to talk to my guests but this lady for me is a massive inspiration so I'm very very excited to find out more about her journey and her story. Let me tell you who she is. She is Emma Heathcote James and she is the founder and the owner of Little Soap Company. Welcome Emma.
0: Thank you. Hello, it's good to be with you.
1: It's so exciting. Um, I just was saying to Emma before we actually came on air to record, I really don't like to massively research my guests because then I think it makes for a much better conversation. So look, we're going to start right at the beginning. So my first question, Emma, what did you want to be when you left school?
0: Genuinely, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, so, I was at quite a high flying all girls school. I wasn't high flying, but I was a girl. And <laughs> people were in the bottom set for everything. So, I kind of went through my school days feeling like the thicky, genuinely, and just had no conception that we were probably in the top 2% of, of kind of the education system. So, it was a, a real shame um, and always felt that I was going to be sort of, I hadn't got a clue. So, I Got caught up in the wave to go to university. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I applied from everything, from social work to pastoral care to theology because I really liked my theology teacher, my RE teacher, and theology sounded like anology. My grand didn't know what it was, so it sounded like a good thing. It was anology. It was great. Um, and I ended up going to Birmingham University. I got in through Clearing because I was a thicky. I would never have got in with the grades. I went in through Clearing. Did that for three years. Loved it because it was debating. So I love an argument and I love. Yeah. So that was good. And then at the end of the degree, it was like everyone was going and getting proper jobs. Some were going to be vicars and some were going to be teachers. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So my partner at the time was a teacher. So that felt like the right thing. So I applied to do a teaching degree uh, or teaching conversion. Um, But um, my thesis, the final dissertation, I wrote on the spread of um, angelic experience in the UK, and it just went mental. So I was in every broadsheet, even Cosmopolitan, just get this research just went it was the first academic research into visionary angelic experiences it was just a a look rather than a judgment thing so it made the theology department look really cool so i was um, offered a bursary to stay on and do a master's so of course i did because i didn't know what i wanted to do and then i stayed on and did a phd um, and during that phd i ended up doing the bbc everyman program was done around the work which i ended up researching then i ended up presenting Um, and then I ended up doing a book on it, which I ended up plagiarizing myself. So I never got the PhD because the book was published before the, um, the the vibe for the PhD so I'm not a doctor so you know it's funny all of the crossroads that we have so yeah I think probably now I can say I know what I want to do in my 40s but up until then I had no clue.
1: Do you know it's so fascinating listening to you so there's a few things I pick up on you've referred to yourself at least I would say two or three times that you were a thicky Emma so I just want to put that out there. I wasn't
0: an A grade student I haven't got a single A for any exam and I think that's really important because There were so many high flyers at school and I never, ever, if it was me having my own business and we all giggle about it, no one would have thought that.
1: No, and I think also I now have a 15 year old son who is going right through this whole school um, process. Yeah. And I have to tell you that the creativity side of children, I don't believe that we really investigate that, bring it out, uh, look at what they love. You know, you clearly had a real love for what you did, which is why you excelled in it. Yeah. So isn't that a case in point, you know? Yeah, amazing.
0: Like that. We, we all have a giggle at home. We've got a 15 year old son exactly the same. And it's like, I just look and feel so sorry, because how can you decide when you're 15? You know, he wants to be a pilot. At least he knows what he wants to do. I haven't got a clue. No. Not a clue. But you're no. right. The creativity side, it's like, it's winging it. We can all wing it if we try.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. And I don't know, I don't think you're old enough to remember. But when I was young, there was an advert on television with Maureen Lipman. Now, Maureen Lipman was a really well-known actress. Yeah, I remember she, Do you remember her? And she did the BT advert. And she asked, do you remember this I one? Do. I know you do from your expression. And she answers the phone to her son who kind of reports in a very downtrodden way that he hasn't done very well in his exams. And he said he's got uh, something ology. I can't even remember which one. She went, you've got an ology. (laughs) Exactly, that was it. And it was so funny when you said that because that's the first thing I thought of was she's got an ology. (laughs) She did amazing. But look, I think how amazing the things that kind of as you say came off yeah. you doing and choosing that subject yeah so I, think, I think something
0: to add to that is I was all set to go and do English because I loved English I loved reading I really loved writing writing was one thing that I did really I've always uh, thousands of journals every year I'd write down every, every night how you know, terrible life was or how great <laughs> it was and one thing that RE teacher who I really really adored um, still do. She turned around and said, if you do English, Emma, you'll be a very little fish in a very big pool. If you did theology or RE, you probably got 28 in the year and you've got a potential to be a bigger fish there. And that was I don't want to be a little fish. Yes. So it's really interesting. And then of course I start the soap business and I'm a tiny little fish. So i it's been swimming upriver to try and get, you know, into that little pool to be a big. So it's really interesting of how how you can, you know, how we see things, isn't it? Yeah, it
1: is. And also look at the um impact of having a great teacher behind you. Oh, totally.
0: You never you know? forget the ones. You never forget the terrible ones, but you never well, forget
1: well, it's really funny because I loved English and I've I've always been good at writing. I love writing. I wrote a book, obviously. Yeah. Now, uh, my English teacher was—I was absolutely petrified of my English teacher. I mean, genuinely scared yeah. of this man. He was—he was horrible. Yeah. But actually, he taught me how to write. He taught me how to understand English, and that's why I can now punctuate and I know my grammar and okay some people say that's not so important today but it will always be important to me and and it's great you know so you're right whether you love them or hate them sometimes these teachers have a very big impact don't they
0: they? one of my bugbears and it's it's one of those things that people just roll their eyes at whenever we're advertising in the business I always want a handwritten letter because you can tell so much about a person so much about a person just in a very short paragraph
1: I left school at 16 because I wanted to work and I said to my mum mum what shall I do she said right you write 50 letters that's what she said to me and I wrote 50 handwritten letters to all sorts of employers in the in the area. Mm -hmm. And I got three job offers. Uh, And you know, and I worked at NatWest, that's where I went for my very first job. But the point is, you know, I think this is just such a lovely thing that we've almost lost doing now, isn't it? This writing a letter how lovely is that
0: it's the same with sales you know how many touches how many people do you have to contact to get one sale that was like the best advice from your mom because you think would you think well of course everybody wants to employ me but 50 wow
1: i know it was a lot wasn't it i was probably too many but i got three job offers and then i had a choice which is just you know that's That's life isn't it So I want to know what happens next then to Emma. You've obviously you've done this program. Um, it
0: was it was an out of house BBC production, and the director Norman Hall was really quirky. He was so creative, and um, they absolutely went to him, um, wanting him to direct it. And short, long story short, we won an RTS award. He won an RTS award. I, I, I joined in that week, um, and it was such an unusual documentary. It was. We watched it the other night. Actually, we found the uh, the, the tape of it. And he did an amazing job and we interviewed loads of the case studies. Um, it was really easy research that I had for the master's well, and, and for the original thesis because everyone else was going out finding case studies. I just got in the papers and sort of gave the journalist a nice story and said, is it okay if you just put our PO box in? So all the letters just landed on our doorstep. So it was very, and we had sackfuls, sackfuls and sackfuls. And even when the first book came out, we then had more sackfuls of, oh, I don't agree with that, but I had this kind of experience. Does that count? So, yeah, so uh, the programme happened, carried on working there, ended up totally through the back door into uh, broadcast research, did documentaries, um, worked for several production companies. So I've never actually had a real job. I worked for the BBC for a short time was on their payroll. But apart from that, I've always been freelance. So learning HR now with the, with the real business has just been, I've never, you know, I, yeah, it's <laughs> having to work out salaries taking tax off. It's, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's just, all, everything's very, very different. I worked in TV for about 10, 12 years um, whilst writing the books. Um, the, the book came out about the research. It was like a layman's book, um, bedtime kind of table um, book. Then we wrote another one, then I wrote another one, then I wrote another one. So there was four books, which was... Back then, the mind, body, spirit section in bookshops was like a sort of dusty corner in Waterstones. <laughs> yeah. So again, it was just—it was trying to rejuvenate um, an area and turn it into something a bit sexy, which hopefully we had a bit of a, a bit of an impact on. And we had an amazing audience, um, and they—they they sold a crazy amount. So that that was nice. We still get royalties every year from them now, which is just amazing. Mad. It was Twenty years ago, yeah. Um, so yeah, angels always going to be popular, aren't they?
1: Yeah. So t- tell me the story about. Um, well, tell me the next thing. You you've obviously been freelance for a long time. You did a little bit of freelance, details. freelance.
0: Ended up. Um, you know. You know what it's like being freelance, and it's 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 fun and it's nice having a lovely hotel and going around the country and the world. But it gets tiring. And I bought this beautiful cottage in the Cotswolds. And I was never there, and I was slowly renovating it up, and I wasn't there to project manage it, and the sink went in the wrong place, and this happened, and then the bathroom fork you know, fell through, and so much went wrong. And I wanted to be there. I was. I realised actually I'm quite a home bird, mm-hmm. um, so I made this decision on New Year's Eve, as I'm likely to do, just snap decision, and that's it. We follow it, and I'm saying right, that's it. I'm not going to take any more contracts on unless they're in like a 10-mile radius which living in the North Cotswolds has not many TV companies <laughs> in a 10 mile radius. So so I ended up taking work down at Shelton film studios. Then I ended up running the Gloucestershire media group, which looked after all of the media professionals in the area and, and then spread more down to the Southwest. Um, there was a design forum that I did some work with. Um, absolutely loved it. So that was more kind of PR and looking after other creatives because creatives are good at being creative, but they're not very good at running a business. So that was probably something that sparked something in me of like, well, I am quite creative and I'm learning how people are running a business, um, and then I just wanted something I could call my own, and that was where the soap accidentally happened. So it was never a long term plan. It was just I loved hobbies, I loved doing things with my hands, I love making things, yeah and genuinely, and I've always made face packs and this, that and the other. that was just the norm. yeah, the little well, naked soap as it was back then was born. Um, purely because granny died she always used to bring soap give us soap so as a family we always had soap in the bathroom whatever granny come back off a holiday give us a brown bag with some soap in great presents you know we'd use it never discuss it Grand died. Mom was clearing out her bedroom, opened up the double wardrobe, and behind her clothes there was so much soap. I mean, so stashes of it, so so much. I think her friends used to give her florists and stuff, so there was a lot of soap. But she always used the pure natural stuff, which I never stopped and questioned because it was just you know you just don't talk about it, do you? No. It's you
1: don't. Just so, well, it's part of your life isn't it yes, she, she's yeah. a part of your life it's the norm for you it was so. just a family norm yeah
0: um so we, we, well, I, I took some back to the cottage I used some then we had the incident with the bathroom floor falling in when they were just meant to be redoing the bathroom and oh I don't know what happened there so I had no no bathroom for probably about six weeks because they had it was all bottled and door, and we had to do it all properly and it was all a big mess so during that time the church up next door said look you can use our outdoor toilet here's the key but the graveyard it was in the doomsday book this church it was so <laughs> and freaky i just stopped drinking at four o'clock <laughs> refused to go to the toilet until like morning daylight and then all the neighbors were really lovely and they set up this rotor for me that i could go and have a shower at their house oh. and you know what you learn so much about your neighbors when you're sitting in their bathroom because normally you use their downstairs loo it's not a thing So when you're stood in their bathroom, you see what they use. And like, you know, the one lady down the road had terrible psoriasis and she was using, you know, a very well-known cheap um, shower gel brand. I was thinking oh god i wouldn't use that we never use liquid soap in the house never it was just, just never did so when um, we think that's interesting and then i would turn up with my bar of ground soap and people are going oh bless you you soap? Well, that's very old-fashioned and i'm thinking god i'm the anomaly it's not everybody else using liquid so that was a big turning point and then it was only when grand stashes dwindled about three years later mom phoned up and said i'm having a bit of a moment there's none left you know like down to the last bar And I'm just a bit grumpy going, oh, God, I have to pay for it now. Went into a a well-known supermarket. And, um, of course, you look back then at the soap counter. It was so dull and dreary. It was all, you know, very old-fashioned, you know, tar soap, see-through glycerin soaps, beauty bars. There was nothing organic. There was nothing pure and natural. I mean, that's a bit odd. That's a bit odd. Never even considered that. And, you know, that question arose, which is the one question I kick myself daily of why did I have to ask that question is why isn't there something pure in the supermarkets? Yeah. We should have choice. Yeah. and that was where it all went downhill oh <laughs> downhill God. from
1: there oh, you say downhill but I, I'm loving listening to this story because I'm thinking oh my goodness this is your grandma's legacy
0: absolutely adored daughter. and my one regret is she's not here today because she was so proud of everything we did yeah. so even when I was at university you know we all lived in Birmingham You know, I would go and pick granny up and she'd come with me to hand papers in and everyone would call her grand so she'd get out the lift and they'd go hello grand she'd go hello okay. so you know she was so proud and she would be there you know she'd be there in waitrose pulling our stuff to the front um, yeah
1: it's almost it's like it's almost like she left the stash for a reason you yeah
0: know? totally totally i think it was hidden from grandpa more than anything <laughs> <laughs> so so
1: how did you discover how to make soap did she leave the recipe oh, or do no,
0: you know what that would be the best story that would be the best way to go and do you know what and we found this booklet and she knows she never made it herself she didn't so oh. I, wish, I wish she had it done. Um, no, so I then well we went round buying it in supermarkets, realising there's nothing quite like it, and it was a lot of kind of hit and miss. Um, sometimes if you went to a, a tra- what you call it like um, a, a village fête or a, a church, you know, bring and buy sort of thing. Yeah. Sometimes you get a soap maker there, but then you you hadn't got a regular dealer because you didn't know where they were or, you know, websites didn't exist back then. And we say this to our son, this was 12 years ago. You couldn't buy online. You know, it was, it just wasn't what it was. Google didn't exist. It was Ask Jeeves and it was Yahoo. So it was so different. It was a totally different world. So yeah, these days you wouldn't have a problem. So, yeah, I'd go to farmer's markets and I found a couple of people who made nice stuff there, but then you'd go the next month and they weren't there. So, yeah, we hadn't got a regular family dealer, which is a bit of an issue. So I thought, liking making things, I managed to find a couple of books in a charity shop because, again, Amazon didn't exist. You couldn't just buy a soap-making book and it wasn't a thing over here. So all of the books tended to be American. So it was all peanut oil, it was colola oil, it was stuff that we didn't have over here and then they'd call it store cupboard ingredients. So I managed to find a recipe that had, I think it was vegetable oil, I think it was rapeseed oil, um, oh, sunflower oil maybe, made this soap. It was the most crumbly, horrible, ghastly soap ever. And I, you know, you've got to leave it for a month anyway. And during the month it was curing, it was just falling apart even. smelled beautiful, smell absolutely lovely with essential oils, but it was just crumbles. So I played around, played around with more recipes. It wasn't the best, it was nothing I was proud of, but I handmade paper, because I got into hand-making paper, so I'd wrap it up so it looked beautiful, and I'd give it to neighbours, but it would never end up on their sink because <laughs> it just fell apart. So it was a complete nightmare. And then this one day, I went to the Village fête next door, the pub next door to where I was living, in the cottage that was now pretty much kind of renovated. And um, there was a lady selling soap down the bottom. And this is where everything comes together. So there were some lads in the village and you know, it was everyone's village front room. It was an old National Trust owned pub. It was beautiful. And I went over just to go and see the neighbors and have a glass of wine. And Tipper, he used to tip the cows over when he got uh, tipsy. Tipper was stood at the gate and he said, oh Emma, I'm glad you've come. We've been waiting for you. And I'm like, right. And he said, we were wondering, can we go up your back garden and get your wheelbarrow? And I'm like, Tipper, go and grab it. What do you want it for? <laughs> now you're asking there's a lady down there selling bar soap and of course there was this big joke in the village that a i was making a bit of soap myself and it was terrible but i'd also gone around everybody's bathrooms with my bar of soap that everyone thought was totally weird for a 30 year old woman so i'm like oh ha, ha tip and that's funny and then i said do you know what i might just go and have a chat to her because she might be able to help me now had he not have said that i would never have gone down to the bottom of the orchard you know i was going to go um... and have a glass of wine Went down, met Jane, the first real-life soap maker I'd ever met, and looking at her stuff, she was selling it out of a horse bucket for £1.50, so I bought four bars off her, it wasn't crumbling, it was completely like a brick, really, really jealous, and I'm going, how do you do this? You know, I've never been able to get it like this, and she's saying, well, what oils are you using? I'm like, well, canola and sunflower and rapeseed and this, that, and in vegetable oil, and she's going, oh, she said, no, collie palm is the best soap, in my opinion okay well collie palm what's that so it's coconut olive and palm and she said it's just so simple and I go where do I get coconut well now of course you can buy coconut oil in the supermarket Yeah. very expensive but you can yes. back then you couldn't it was you know it was it was something you couldn't get I go well, where do I buy and pure olive where do I get that from and she said oh I use this brochure here I'll give it you know give you give you the name of it so I phoned up got the brochure posted out. It sounds archaic, doesn't it?
1: Well, that's how it was.
0: Yeah, that I started making soap. And it was like, it stuck together, it worked. It was the most amazing soap. And of course I bought some off, hadn't I? So that night went back to my new bathroom, used it in the shower, and that was the light bulb moment of like, this should be on the shelves of Waitrose. Yeah. she She was shutting up shop, so to speak. She'd been doing it for a long, long time. It'd been a hobby business. She was going over to Spain. I bought the recipes off her and that was how little soap began.
1: Oh. So, well, naked
0: soap it was back then. So naked yeah. and then we had to change the name.
1: And did you have to change the name just because somebody else was using it? or
0: It was one of those, be careful what you call it. So there were so many signs of it's not the right name. So back then, I do like Santa Grandma, back then Firewalls didn't exist. <laughs> and my next door neighbour did um, loads of statistic work for guide dogs. and I had a little guide dog puppy that I used to have them for a year before they went to, to guide dog school. And she'd gone into work and she said, Emma, I can't get your website up um it just won't come up at work and because it was a big organization they'd got a firewall and the word naked was being Ah. and then you'd also got like was it yahoo images came out before google i can't remember but some image if you put in naked soap you've got like soap stars naked yes so you know pawn shots were coming up which wasn't great especially you know if i was thinking of going to supermarket buyers and them sort of you know finding you know looking, not great so wow yeah, i carried on with naked though because i thought it was really clever yeah however you know the national trust turned around and said you know we would have your soap it's just not great with our older generation i think it's just a bit risky
1: yeah.
0: so everything's happened for a reason I then know. 18 months in i got a cease and desist letter from a big company kmi um, they had obtained a trademark, um, a disused trademark. So it's not like I haven't tried. I tried to trademark it myself, but couldn't because it was deemed yeah. descriptive. They'd found this old trademark. Now they've got a massive team of lawyers on it. And they said, you need to stop using the word as of the 31st of December, it was the 22nd. So it was just like my world caved in. It was only a hobby business. I had a real job, but this was like something that had legs. So yeah, went to the patent attorney. I think it was like the 3rd of January and uh walked in and she's giggling and i'm just going it's really not funny this is like this is all my kind of savings has gone into this i was doing farmers markets and i was in a few local chains around the cotswolds and she said no it's just really funny stella mccartney who just walked out in front of us and i going, to dad that's stella mccartney's like no it's not said, it is it is so stella had a problem with nude um so she'd had stella nude and i would got <laughs> naked soap and the paint is just going what's going on you know what <laughs> happened over christmas so yeah so she had two two nakeds to deal with so yeah, the real crossroads of you know do I just turn around and go do you know what it's a it's a big world you're playing with big boys let's knock it on the head um or do I just change the change the word and, and carry on and uh, yeah I changed the word and carried on
1: right so I've got a question what made you make that decision
0: do you want the honest story yeah <laughs> For yeah. months, I bored everybody talking of nothing else, going, what did I change it to? And the problem is class two that soap sits in is the most crowded category. So if you imagine walking into House of Fraser, every franchise is probably in class two. So everything from nail varnish to toothpaste, to makeup, to cosmetics, to soap, they've got massive marketing departments working for them, coming up with brand names. So every single name I came up with Was already taken. And I'm going, well, obviously, I wanted to brand. I, I need a proper brand. I need to trademark it. I'm not going to do this again and just have a descriptive word. It's too dangerous. And yeah, probably, I think it was, i lost track, three months, six months. It was a long time deciding what to do because I had that long to carry on. We, we managed to wangle it. We could carry on um, trading until that time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, even if it wasn't taken as a trademark, the dot .com or the .co, you, you know, the .co. So I went down to see a friend in Plymouth and she said, she was just sick to the back teeth of me, I think, after a few hours and said, come on, get in the car. I've got a plan. And I going, okay. So we went to the Hope. And I'm sure he's still there to this day. Gypsy acora has got a little shop in the Barbican. And uh, we went in and I think she paid £15. And I was just, I remember I had a green jumper on. It's just, isn't it funny memories? I had nothing on saying Naked Soap Company whatsoever. It was me in a green jumper, went in and he said, would you like a palm reading? Would you like a tarot or would you like crystal ball? And i thought well tarot i could do it myself palm freaks me out because i've got a really short lifeline and i said <laughs> oh i said but crystal ball i've never had one of those that sounds great so he said okay crystal ball he said put your hands on the on the ball he said think of the question and when you're ready just bring your hands to the bottom so of course i'm like this and he starts looking into the crystal ball and he goes um he goes can you can you was looking in it like this and i'm thinking he's getting a magnified view of my palm so he's doing a cheeky palm reading so i'm just really cross so i squidge my hands really tight thinking i'm gonna get my money's worth here really tight squidge like this and he's going i can't see nothing i can't see nothing and i'm thinking yeah cause i'm squidging my hands <laughs> and he goes all i can see is red tape and legals <laughs> yeah and i'm like mm. and he, and he starts spitting spitting and he goes there's a gypsy hex there's a hex on this there's a hex on a word there's a word isn't there oh <gasps> it was that was a moment wow. And he, he starts spitting and he goes i don't understand none of this i don't understand it but you need to sign a bit of paper and i went right okay i will and i went out and we had moulin frites and a bottle of sauvignon <laughs> and i was like that is it that is that is the moment we're going to carry on i'll sign the cease and desist we'll change the name I haven't got a clue what i'll change it to went to the patent attorney that next week and said look we'll sign it but I don't know what I'm going to call the business and she just said and I I still credit Lucy to this to this day she said you want to call it something like just like a little soap company isn't it and I go that's cute and I said but she said you won't be able to trademark it she said unless it becomes bigger and the dot .co.uk was there, the com was there, oh. and the company's house, it was free, so That's we amazing. did it there and then. so that was why it was called Little Soap Company.
1: That was so meant to be as well, it was wasn't good, it, when you think know, of I'm that? such a believer
0: that things are meant to be. Yeah, so am it, I, it, yeah. so am I,
1: very much, and um, it's interesting, isn't it, the whole journey of um, patents, trademarking you know been there and done this because i had truly madly baby which was Mm -hmm. my dragon's den business that was all about we trademarked that and that was really tough because it was truly madly so that was one of the you know it was if you remember the the song was by savage garden
0: that was it
1: was Um, and we had a photo frame with truly madly deeply on it and Mm -hmm. i said to my husband at the time who's obviously the ex-husband now I said to him, what should we call this business? And he just bought the photo frame and he went, look, like this. And I said, oh, Truly Madly Baby, like this. And that was how that was born. So these names are wonderful stories about how they're born, you know. They're really good. So, because I could obviously talk to you all day, I want to get in now the part of the story where we go from the kitchen table to uh, the supermarkets. Because, you know, I think for many listeners, if they're in this retail space, that's probably their biggest aspiration, but my goodness me, is it a minefield?
0: Be careful what you wish for. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah,
1: and <laughs> I knew totally you'd say different that.
0: Monster,
1: totally yeah. Different
0: monster. Yeah, like yeah.
1: Tell, tell us a few sort of top tips or, or just um, observations about that journey.
0: I think it's tenacity and it's patience and I think it's having to be like a dog with a bone and fortunately I've got those three things which I never knew I had because I'd never needed them before and I don't like people saying no so if someone said no to me I'd go back and go but why (laughs) which you know is incredibly annoying but I genuinely believe in the product and it's a really good product and you know it's not about you not having space on your shelf it's about my product's really good to take someone else out and put us in there yeah so it's not taking no for an answer and then the product has to then obviously be good enough to to stay the the long term and that's something i hadn't really considered because i was just so full of myself that it was a good product i never ever considered that you know you could go in in six weeks you're delisted and that's mega and we've never been delisted from anywhere, which is you know quite unusual. we now yeah. know, yeah. Um, and we're the ones going, we'd actually like to take these two lines out and we'd like to replace them with something that we think could do better, and that's better for us and for you. So the whole journey is I think tenacity is a really good word for a business.
1: yeah, I think so too. I think it's um, a very important word, and that belief as well, the belief that this is really something good. Yeah. And being able to uh, translate that value to the supermarkets, because yeah. for them, you know, uh, people who may not know this, a space on a shelf is money to them. Yeah. You know, so everything is calculated on that basis, yeah. isn't it? In so and many ways.
0: So you know, if, for example, you know, I went into Waitrose last night, and we've had customers in Astor. All the shelves are, are, are bare at the moment yes. um, with coronavirus, and this, this ridiculous panic buying um and those empty shelves are costing them money so all of those companies that have got empty spaces will be fined you know if the space is empty for a long time because it's costing money yeah so So it's all about rate of sale it's about the way to purchase there's so much it's not about is it a nice product and is emma a nice person i want to put it on the shelf it's the data it's data driven and more and more retailers are data driven now so that product has got to be exactly right
1: yes exactly there's so much more to understand understand about going into these bigger the oh, and buyers. The, the,
0: I, I'm not trying to put people off I've done it and I knew nothing but the the promotional side the key is get people in who understand it I struggled for too long absolutely like a rabbit in headlights and phoning up buyers going, I'm really sorry. Can you just help me with this? And I had very patient buyers at the start who were lovely and handheld and they weren't used to dealing with a founder owner. They were used to having reps from P and G and J and J out. Yeah. So I was very fortunate that sort of making friends and getting sort of help from from the powers that be. But now the team I've got, they, they can do it standing on their head, you know, on one hand. So yeah. get people on board quickly who know more than you do. At that yeah
1: there was an element of human connection that got you going with this because clearly the buyers made a connection with you your passion and the value of the product
0: to me it was this absolute no-brainer of like i'm walking into waitrose and you've not got organic soap really you know really so it's it ticked a lot of boxes for the retailers um and then obviously the sainsbury's they're massively into sustainability and then asda realized there's nothing on their shelves they came and said could you do something for us so it, it works for everybody and to me that is real ethical business like a genuine ethical business and it's not that I sat down and thought I want to create an ethical business how am I going to go about it it's just naturally happened and I think anyone who has a business employing people or giving a product to another you know another human being we've got a responsibility to do it properly. And in terms of advice, one thing my dad's always said is he always said, do things properly. And if there's a knock at the door, you're not going to wait yourself. You make sure your tax is correct. You make sure, I would never release a product if we hadn't got all the paperwork you know, um, in line beforehand. So if there is a knock at the door, we can go, here you go. Yeah. And do you know what? You have to be able to sleep at night. Yeah. Some line.
1: yeah, definitely. Sleeping at night is imperative, obviously. Um, <laughs> it's it is <so>, <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is. Um, I wanted to just also ask about the kind of st- scale-up side of sure. the business. Because obviously, if you started making it on your kitchen table, which is ultimately what it was like. I found that
0: stressful. Honestly, if only I knew what it was like.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but how did you then move into having it produced en masse? Because that, I think that must be a massive thing of letting go and, oh. and it, it changing, really. The dynamics must change. Yeah, and for a control
0: freak, that's really hard. Yeah. Every bar yeah. I touched and, you know. So how did that happen? I So with the trademark issue and having to change name... Um, I was a member of WIRE, which was Women in Rural Enterprise, um, because I was out in the sticks, there was nobody else really I could talk to, and I was really lonely, and I will put my hand up, I was really lonely, I'm a people person, I was at home, making soap, on the phone, selling it, and didn't really have anyone to talk to, so I joined WIRE very early on, and realised that the local WIRE to me was like a 45 minute drive away in Worcester, And I phoned up and went, I'm not being funny, I've just spent 40 pounds on this annual membership. (laughs) And the local wire is 45 minutes away. That's gonna be like, a whole morning out for me. And uh, she was brilliant. Sarah at the end of the phone turned around and said, well, set up your own then. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Love that. (laughs)
0: so i did <laughs> so i set up my own i thought well obviously bretfordon is a very tiny village and this, there's not many of us so um, i set it up in broadway because i love broadway and then i set up another in shipping camden which was sort of the other side of the hill and i thought where would i like to go because i was at home the whole time i just picked the two nicest hotels that did the nicest tea and coffee and that was where our wire groups were once a month mm-hmm. so twice a month because i did two I had two different sets of people and some of them are lifelong friends now that, you know, we all started out together at the same time doing, you know, similar things. So that that was absolutely terrific. Um, So, yes, networking is imperative and getting a support network is really important. Yeah. So, So the trademark thing happened phone sarah at wire going oh my god oh my god you know this is just awful i've got this trademark i'm gonna have to change everything you know everything from the website to facebook to you know the the banners on the the farmers stalls that i did i said this is just this is going to be about 15 grand so i just had four thousand boxes delivered because it was it it was good to order in bulk Four thousand was a lot back then yeah and uh, she just said emma this is brilliant and i'm going oh my god did you hear what i said and she went no this is brilliant you're going to have a story and she said, every business needs a story. And I remember putting the phone down and thinking, thanks a bunch. You know, that's supportive. But she was so right because I did have a story. And after we got out the other end, I was asked to go and speak at lots of conferences and lots of other things. And it doesn't matter whether you're knitting jumpers or making chutney or making soap, if this could happen to anybody.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I was asked to go and speak at a conference at the, uh, I think it was Harper Adams. um, I think it was a wide conference, actually, um, talking about the the, the kind of the glass ceiling or the ceiling, actually, that you have as an artisan producer. And there is a cap there's only so much you can do and I could make 40 grand a year and that was pretty much every hour of the day I couldn't make any more money myself because I was getting up in the morning supermarket all of the kind of like the the, just the wholesale that I was just doing to local shops and to hotels and things I was making it I was having to do soap schools just to bring quick cash in and if I started employing other people hand making it the margins are all different and it wouldn't be. Yeah. So I was just saying, it's really hard as an artisan business. How do you scale? And there was a lady in the audience who was dressed differently to everybody else. She was suited and booted. Everyone else was kind of farmer's wives and sort of jeans and kicking back, kind of countryside casual. And uh, Kay in the audience kept kept putting a hand up and asking really pertinent questions. And uh, she ended up by going, so Emma, you're going, you, you, you're you sitting here saying you want to make soap accessible to all, which was the strap line. It still is. Yeah. and she said but you're not in any of the big retailers and I go well this is a problem I just can't have make and you know to take a factory on it's just a different beast and she said but if you want genuinely that really is your aim and you really want to do that why aren't you in in waitress in, in Tesco's and I said oh, well I'm actually an eight waitress this is a local hero and I just have live in my soap and waitress is more my brand so I think it'd be waitress that I went for and she was a Tesco buyer so how foolish! Oh. what a twit did i look but i stood by it because i'm going you know what wait you know tesco's tesco's isn't us i'm a waitress girl anyway she turned up at the house a week later then she came back another week with one of her colleagues and she worked in it doesn't exist anymore she worked in um, the tesco local um, department in cardiff and she gave me a contract for forty thousand bars now she knew i needed to make forty thousand to get a contract with a factory And she said, go and find a factory. Well, that's easier said than done. There's like hardly any. Um, And that was the biggest gift anyone's, apart from my goddaughter and my son, the biggest gift I've ever had because it was, wow. So I went to three factories and the factory that I liked the most was the people that I liked the most. Um, And... I got it made there and again even that it was just like the the uh, changing the name issue I just talked incessantly to people for about two months just couldn't make a decision which is really unlike me because it was such a big crossroads it was like this is this is going to be life changing if we do this and you know you're kind of like putting your house on the line this is mega um so yeah and there was a friend of mine Jenny and her and her husband came for dinner one night and I think I just talked at them the whole night and her husband doesn't really speak and as he was putting um, his wife's coat on and we was saying goodbye he was lent over and said you're a fool if you don't take that and i was like oh really and he went mm. and he worked for a big big co- big 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 company and he said uh, people don't give you contracts like that he said you're an unknown person it's a massive risk so i phoned up took the contract um, went up to the factory said right i want you to make this they said brilliant and said gave me an invoice and i just looked at them so i can't pay this now and they said well we don't know who you are from Adam and I'm going but you've seen this this orders from what from Tesco and they said but you need to pay it up front and I going, well I can't do that and they said well what, what do you propose then and I said well I propose that you make it I send it into Tesco's I wait for Tesco's to pay us and then I'll pay you I said I'm tiny how on earth can I pay you up front and I think they just took pity and realised that they would get the money and that was what got me off the springboard because, oh, that's amazing. It, yeah, really lucky. And I and think my absolute ignorance, that was.
1: And there is, there is the tenacity yes. right there, you yeah. know? And, yeah. and it's interesting because it was much smaller scale but when I started Truly Madly Baby, I was looking for products that weren't on the high street that I could stock in my collection because yeah. I wanted to feel different. Yeah. So I was going to... smaller UK suppliers sometimes they're importing from you know abroad I stayed in the UK small order quantities yeah I had no credit with them Um, and I pleaded with them and I said to them "Uh, this is going to be big please help me and support me they did and then they were getting thousands tens of thousands of pounds worth of business from me um, by the second Everyone time. has to take a little risk don't they yeah. and i think people do business with people
0: yeah you know, and you know we have a lot of customers and you can tell who the genuines are you know ones are and straight away you know we've had a few people buy loads of wholesale and then it's been a dodgy credit card and they've run off and stuck it on ebay you know it's hideous yeah you no know, yeah. people do business with people and yeah i agree sell it
1: yeah. So tell me, tell me the um, just to finish off because I know I could speak to you for, for hours. Um, but just to finish off, who, where, what supermarkets are you currently in now?
0: So we are in Waitrose, Tesco's, ASDA, Booth's, Boots, Sainsbury's. We're about to go into Lloyd's Pharmacy. We're about to go into Superdrug. We're doing some work with them. There's another one, Amazon as well. Yeah,
1: amazing. <laughs> no, that's great. So you're in all of those supermarkets yeah. um what's the next place we're going to see them or do you feel like that's now the coverage for you oh no
0: we haven't even started so i think you know it's all about volume for us so we've not even started with export um that's a whole different ball game and a lot of the retailers were in ireland with some of them already um but yes there's so much more that we can do um we've got big plans about little soap school and um, that's been pretty pretty quiet the last 12 months we've not done anything with it just because i've been growing the team and um, we have scaled massively um so Yes, that there's going to be things happening in the next six months or so with Little Soap School. So that, that, that'll be making a resurgence. So that's quite, that's a separate business. That'll be, that'll be quite exciting. So
1: just, just because you've mentioned it briefly, what is that exactly? Oh,
0: sorry, Little Soap School. We, we fling open the workshop doors um, of oh. where we do all our kind of like um, R&D and development. And we teach people to make their own soap. And we get, um, we get people just coming just to make soap and learn how it's done. And we get quite a few people from all over the world coming to learn because they want it as their own business so it's
1: good fun fun. you've just done so many amazing things Emma um, and it's really inspirational to talk to you and also think about what we've all talked about on this podcast where we've gone from where you left school you know where you started not really knowing even what you wanted to do to this amazing business that you now run which is going to be a global success you know there's no doubt
0: about that but it's it it keeps me busy
1: (laughs) (laughs) what's the kind of exit plan from your perspective
0: you know we were at the accountants last week and they're saying what are we looking at five years or so no I'm having such a good time yeah. And you know it's while while I get out of bed with fire in my belly really excited that's life isn't it and how how blessed am I to have something that I get up every day and do that I love and of course there's bad days but you know we've all got this vision and this bigger aim and so long as we have that that's as long as I'll keep doing it because what will I do if I'm not you know I'm a complete obsessive person so I have to find something else to be totally obsessed about.
1: I understand your world
0: <laughs> <laughs> one, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it
1: so last uh, last final saying thoughts for the listeners what what do you want to leave us with Emma
0: oh gosh I think just don't give up if you want something it can be achieved and I think you know we try and instill that in our son it's it's you can have whatever you want and sometimes it takes a lot of hard work, but you can have whatever you want.
1: Yeah, that's amazing, and it certainly runs in line with my dad's legacy of there is no such word as can't, because that's well, what well
0: if you is. say you can't, you're right. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> And any links to anything you've talked about will be in the narrative on this podcast. So you can connect with Emma if you would like to. But Emma, thank you so much for your time. I know you're so busy. No, it's great great to sit down and have a cuppa with you. Have a cuppa, yeah, that's it. And so it's lovely that you spent the time with us this morning. And I hope our listeners have really loved this podcast. I know I have. And also, I hope you're inspired by this amazing lady and her tenacity and the journey that she's been on thank you for listening to the human conversation we'll be back again very soon with another amazing episode you can listen to us on apple podcasts on spotify stitcher and also on soundcloud and this will be on youtube so you can watch us drinking tea together thank you emma again it's been thank absolutely you. it's
0: really good to see you again take
1: care great to see you and listeners we will see you again really soon on the human conversation ta for now
0: you've just been listening to the human conversation podcast with jules white to find out more about the other work that jules does please visit her website And if you enjoyed the podcast, then please do leave a rating and review on the platform you use to enjoy her show. Thanks for listening and see you next time.